Welcome to the Whiskey Rebellion. This is David Silkenet in Edinburgh, joined again by Frank Cagliano, who's returned from his grand adventure in the States. How are you doing, Frank? I'm back! I'm doing great, David. Thank you very much. How was the trip? <laughs> the trip was great. I mean, I was on the road for eight weeks, which is a long time to be away. It's like you're in a band on tour, doing your great... Uh, coastal America trip. Yeah, that's exactly what it was like. <laughs> exactly, with, with, with roadies and groupies and the whole thing, oh, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I did experience a historic moment, though, um, which I can tell you about. So this is a, this is a bit of oral history for you, uh, which was my flight back was on Monday evening. So we're recording on Saturday. So it was Monday the 18th or 19th. I can't remember the date. Um, uh, earlier this week. And as I was preparing to board my flight at, at, in Newark to, to go to Edinburgh, I had a flight from Newark to Edinburgh, uh, the uh, judge's ruling came down about the, removing the mass mandates for, um, for uh, transportation. And as a result of this, uh, just as I boarded the flight, we were told... You don't need any masks. And that, that was the tone in which we were told this. So the, uh, all the, the, the flight attendants took off their masks. The pilots were unmasked. Um, we were told we could all take off our masks. Um, the vast majority of people did so. And, and uh, the, the analogy I've made to people over the past few days is it was a sort of a combination. The, the, the atmosphere was a combination of VE Day and Woodstock. I mean, it, it was a real kind of carnival atmosphere as people celebrated this moment. Um, Unless you're one of the people who feels like they they board the plane thinking they were going to be have a certain level of protection and then find out ten seconds later they don't. Yeah, I mean that that's right. It was a, it was I and I would say that for the the, the remainder of the flight or for, for the entire the entirety of the flight, ninety percent of people had their masks off and then and we were told when we boarded that we would have to put them back on when we arrived in Edinburgh. But of course, Tuesday when I when mm. Tuesday morning when I arrived, and you'll know this, they removed the, most of the mask requirements in Scotland as of Tuesday. And so when we landed, uh, the purser told us that uh, you don't need to wear a mask in Edinburgh Airport either because the pand and this was the quote, the pandemic is a thing of the past. Sorry, you can hear the dog in the background. I apologize for that. Okay, well, that's so, so I, I, this isn't to germane be, to our yeah. topic, except that it was a sort of interesting historic moment. An interesting historic moment, and I have been uh, test. In fact, I tested every day since I got back, so that we we could, uh, rec- well, not just so that we could record this together, but I haven't seen anybody <laughs> since I got back, and I uh, amazingly have tested negative every day. I thought, sure, I was gonna, I was gonna, having danced between the raindrops for eight weeks and traveled across the United States and not having contracted COVID. I thought I'm going to get it at the very la- at the very end. But when the, when the pandemic's over. Yes, right, but exactly. yes, because it's over, I didn't get it. That's right. right. That, that, okay, that's right. Anyway, sorry, that, that's a digression. I'm glad to be back and, and thrilled to see you, David. It's good Run. to be back. Thrilled to see you as well. Uh, right, so our topic today is based on a, a bill that was signed, I think, actually late last night by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, that removed uh, the Walt Disney Corporation's special district uh, in Florida, a special district called the Reedy Creek Improvement District that was established in the 1960s. And this is a product of a a fairly lengthy uh, and contentious fight between Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and the Disney Corporation over, among other things, the uh, Parental Rights in Education Act, more popularly known as the Don't Say Gay Bill. So this is a very strange event that's just happened in Florida. 
It is a strange event, and it's the culmination of a strange month. Well, we've been in a strange, strange decade, exactly. <laughs> but but a, a particularly strange month um, with respect to the relationship between Florida and the Disney Corporation. Um, uh, and what we've seen, I think, is the coming together of a bunch of elements of the the ongoing culture war in the United States. Oh, to be sure. <laughs> if, if that's if that's one way to I think mean, about it, this story has got. It's obviously got LGBT rights involved in it. It's got education involved in it, and education's been very contentious over the past several months, particularly. Um, it's also got questions about uh, critical race theory, quote-unquote critical race theory. It's been, been the fights for, for, for the past several uh, months, the whole idea about woke culture, whatever that happens to mean. There's also congressional districts being redrawn, the process of all this, we'll get to that, so there's things about electoral politics that's involved. DeSantis is widely speculated to be considering a run for the presidency in 2024 if Donald Trump doesn't uh, throw his hat in the ring. Possibly even if he does. I mean, DeSantis does seem to be challenging Trump for the Trump wing of the Republican Party. Two two Florida men running against each other. Um, So there's a lot of sort of levels to all this uh, that, that I think we can probably see if we can untangle and give some historical context to. Because uh, it's a fascinating turn of events that is largely, a, you know, one wouldn't have expected to unfold this, this way a few years ago, given the power that Disney Corporation has in Florida, given that they're, they in the past have supported DeSantis, they've given him a lot of money, they give everybody in Florida lots of money. Um, they, it's the largest private employer in the state of Florida. Yeah, and it has a huge amount of political power, you know, the, the lobbyists... Uh, you know, in Tallahassee, you say, like, you know, Disney's one of the people that the, you don't touch that's like a third rail in Florida politics because they are so powerful. It's not only that, David. One of the things that really strikes me about it is if, if we cast our minds back, just go back a decade when, to when Mitt Romney was the Republican nominee for, mm. for the presidency. That seems like a lifetime ago. Yes. yes. <laughs> but the, the Republican Party of Mitt Romney of just a decade ago would never have taken on a major corporation uh, like this. In fact, the Republican Party of Mitt, uh, of, of, of that era uh, was generally favorable to major American corporations in, in most respects. And, and so it's, well, as Romney said, corporations are people too. Well, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, um, and and so, so this, this also represents, I think, it's a manifestation of the evolution of the Republican Party in the past decade as it's moved away from that kind of for lack of a better term, kind of country club, better business bureau republicanism, which is you know generally favorably you know uh, favorably inclined towards corporations, uh, to a more, um, I, I guess, identity oriented political party. I think that's right. Um, and, and this is so. Th- th- there's a there's a. This is a this is the latest front in the culture war we've talked about in various iterations over the over the life of this podcast, but it's a very interesting and frankly kind of bizarre iteration of it. Well, does, does that yeah, make sense? No, I think you know the Republican Party going back into the the nineteen fifties. There's always been sort of two wings of the Republican Party. There's been there the sort of Chamber of Commerce, right. big pro business, small government wing of the Republican Party, and then there's been the uh, anti communist religious moral element of, of what the Republican Party was or is and, and you know that struggle between which which of those wings of the party is, is in charge and it's definitely the uh, 
the was the anti woke wing or the whatever it is the Trump wing that seems to be the the dominant thread at the moment. DeSantis is an interesting character in all of this, David. I think because he's I think quite clearly positioning himself to to run against or run for the Republican nomination either in twenty twenty four or and or in twenty twenty eight, but also. As I said a moment ago, I think he's thinking about challenging Trump, possibly, and, and in order, but but he's doing so by leaning into that Trumpist wing of the Republican Party. He's a Harvard-educated guy. He's not a stupid man. Uh, not that Harvard education necessarily equates with intelligence, but but he, he you know but, but he's playing to that Trumpist populist base, um, and he's certainly done so. It, 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 through his actions over this whole war with Disney, but it's it's just a strange turn to me because it, it, you know, Disney is not a corporation that um, one necessarily associates with wokeness or progressivism uh, necessarily. Although I, I think the the culture of Disney has changed in, in recent years. Mm. Um, the one industry that that uh, that Republicans have been willing to attack over the years, of course, is the entertainment industry and Hollywood. And I guess if we see Disney as as a as a uh, as a major player in that field, which it is, uh, maybe maybe this is of a piece with that. But thinking, if you say if we take Disney's name out of it, if you think about a Republican governor in a state where the legislature is dominated by Republicans attacking a private corporation that is the major employer and the private employer in that state. Yeah, this is kind of unusual, unusual behavior. behavior. Yes. This is this if is unusual was, behavior. If it was a tire manufacturer or a car maker, right? Product, but right. So so now maybe the fact that it is the Disney Corporation and associated with the entertainment industry, maybe that changes it a little bit. But it's still a, it's it's a strange turn of events. I guess that that would be my point. So shall we see if we can sort of make sense first of, of what it is that that DeSantis did and what this this thing he signed last night does? Shall we sort of dis- uh, talk about that sort of the history of Disney? World in Florida. Have you been to Disney World, by the way? <laughs> I was thinking about this for this. I have not. I've been to Disneyland. Okay. You've been to all of them, haven't I'm you? Not, I, 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 I feel been, like I've we've been, said this. I've been to most of them. I've been to Disneyland. I've been to Disney World. I've been to the what used to be called Euro Disney, which I think is now Disneyland France or Disneyland Paris, I think. And I've been to the one in Japan. I think there might be one or two others now that I haven't been to. Okay. But I've been to, I've been to a bunch of these as a child. Uh, I've not been to any of them since then. Full disclosure, I have only been to Disneyland, okay. the one in Orange County, uh, California. I did learn as a result of all this that, that Disney World is also in Orange County, in yes. Orange County, Florida. So they're both in Orange County. Uh, but but I've been to the original uh, Disneyland um, in, in Anaheim. Uh, oh, it must be 30 years ago. And I went when I was in graduate school. I was out at doing research at the Huntington Library. Yes. In, in uh, California. A wonderful place to do research. It is a wonderful place to do research. And for whatever reason, I can't remember the exact circumstances, I was there with my, my ex-college roommate, my former college roommate, I should say, Al. And Al is a good, good friend, my, my, probably my oldest friend. And Al and I went to went to Disneyland together when I had a on the weekend when I had a day off from uh, a day away from research, and in retrospect, it should be uh, full disclosure. Um, there's probably nobody more annoying to go to a theme park with than a snarky graduate student, <laughs> <laughs> and I, that okay. was certainly me. And so I spent the whole day kind of critiquing. What we were experiencing, how Disney was, and Al finally lost his temper, more or less said, with a few expletives included, how would you run your theme park? Uh, which was a fair criticism, actually. So I have experienced Disney, but my, my kids, 
uh, we, we just never went with them because, well, they were raised in Europe. We didn't go to Disneyland Paris. We did go to Legoland a lot uh, at one point, but um, uh, my kids weren't that interested in going. So I've, I, I've not been to the full... I have not been to as many Disney uh, properties as you have. Is there any reflection? Are there any reflections you want to offer? Oh, uh, it is a land of enchantment and a magical <laughs> experience. Um, no, I mean, I, had, I remember going as a child and having a good time and getting very excited about the haunted mansion and very excited about parts of the Caribbean and doing all the stuff. And it's it's a good time. Yeah. So the original Disneyland was, was um, opened in nineteen fifty five. And uh, in California, and Disney World was opened in was it nineteen seventy one? I think. Uh, so they start. Yeah, they start. Well, they, they started. They both construction in the mid sixties. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the interesting thing, in terms of if, just to briefly digress on the history of amusement parks, which I, I did some reading on for this episode, and, and fascinates me. I mean, uh, amusement parks are and, and theme parks are interested interesting at least in the United States. They arise out of the. Kind of popular entertainment of the 19th century, so your period, and, yeah. and I'm, uh, you know, carnivals and freak shows and things like this, and and they retain that kind of circuses mm-hmm. and they retain that element, but they're also a, and there's a kind of golden age that begins in the 1890s, I think, and then uh, and then carries down to about the war, the 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 the, the interwar period. But I think Disney and the rise of these kind of um, mega theme parks are an attempt to provide a kind of wholesome alternative to the kind of carny culture around some of the... Yeah, I think, I think is, that's is, right. Is that fair? Yeah. Well, fun fact about the, the 1890s, Walt Disney's dad worked at the World's Columbian Exposition. No Chicago kidding. World's Fair in 1893, yeah. Uh, so, so part of the inspiration for, for Disneyland and Disney World and... Disneyland was the the white city of of, of Chicago in eighteen ninety three, um, and so actually Walt would have been a very very small child then. Uh, That's fascinating because so, so the origin story for for Disneyland, as I understand it, is that Walt Disney had taken his daughters to some kind of attractions. I think it was in Griffith Park mm. in, in L A. and thought about a kind of family alternative to this, and so I think the. Amusement park kind of has, at least in its American version, has a couple of origins. So there's the kind of 19th century spectacle and uh, uh, carnival aspect of this. And that kind of carries on to this very day in the kind of um, temporary amusement park rides that crop up in fairs and things like this. But then the kind of set established place a, a designated permanent mm. place uh, kind of begins it begins in America uh, the the first kind of permanent um, amusement park uh, as a single entity is usually uh, identified as on Coney Island in, in 1895 and so and then we get there are about 475 amusement parks in the United States yeah. today but most of them are owned by well there are the big ones that everybody knows the Disney parks Universal Studio, Universal uh, Studios, and those parks, um, and also like Six Flags. Sure. So there are a number of big corporations that own these, but then there are a lot of, there were a lot of small independent ones. And when I was growing up, there was one near near me. On Where they this. have a roller coaster and yep. bumper cars and yeah. the things. And right? those places were death traps. Oh, they yes. were run by, you know, 
<laughs> this is this is one where you actually do want a big corporation that's afraid of being sued running your amusement park, despite all my cynicism mm. 30 years ago at Disneyland. Because uh, your, your kind of local amusement parks might not have been quite up on the health and safety regulations. Well, so I mean, one of the things I think this sort of ends up how we ended up with this particular um, situation in Florida is, is that Walt Disney was kind of a control freak. And he right. wanted to have a very particular kind of experience in in first in Disneyland and then Disney World. He wants to have lots of control over the minutia of how the thing works and how the people who work there are, are present themselves and the customer experience and the whole thing. So so I think his uh, sort of domineering presence, I think, is, is a big part of, of what ends up happening in Florida. Um, so this, should we get to the specifics of, of Disney? Yeah, can you explain the, what's the legal status of Disney until yesterday in um, Disney well, World? It's, it's still in, in effect now, and yeah, so right. it doesn't take effect until next year. So Central Florida in the mid-1960s was not Central Florida we think of today. Like So, so Orlando was this place, but it wasn't a huge sort of mecca that people went to. Uh, it was mostly kind of swampland, uh, undeveloped territory. Disney goes in and buys up a bunch of this land uh, near near Orlando. They use a bunch of shell companies to do it so that people don't realize that Disney's buying all this stuff. And, and so they, they sort of hide the fact that they're buying basically half of Orange County and a bit of Osceola County. And what Disney wants is he wants to be able to you know control, first build the park that he wants to build a huge, he has a much vision for a much bigger park, but he wants to be able to control not only the park itself, but, you know, the roads and the infrastructure, make sure that those are all of the particular kind of qual- the quality he wanted without having to worry about local government. Uh, and so basically they go to the legislature and they get into to arrange this to be a special district. It's basically kind of like a corporate town uh, in which uh, there is this separate entity, the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which is 39 square miles and it controls things like land use and regulations and planning and building codes and drainage systems and waste treatment systems and the police department and the utilities and the bridges and all the other stuff. And the stu- fire department. And fire the fire department. All the, like, all the stuff that, that a town usually does is run by this improvement district. Reedy Creek Improvement District, which is basically run by the Disney Corporation. So if Disney wants to build a new ride or build a new hotel or build a new something, they don't need to go to a democratically elected thing to to ask them, hey, can we have permission to build a new hotel? They basically ask themselves, can we build a new hotel? And they say, yes, you can build the hotel that you just uh, want to build. But, however, they uh, two things do bear... um, Commenting, or if I can add them, mm. uh, one is they do have to comply with building regulations yes. in the state of Florida, um, and uh, so so that's an important element. Yeah. And secondly, they tax themselves to pay for these things. Yes. So so the, the, it's a it's a self contained entity, but they do so. Reedy Creek does tax the Disney Corporation to pay for these things. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. So, I mean, basically, the way this works is Disney likes the roads to Disney World to be very you know be. Re, you know, uh, redone every few years so they're in tip-top shape all the time. So they give themselves money or they give the Reedy Creek Improvement District money to make sure the roads are in good shape. So this should be a 
Sorry, one other factoid before I make that my point. Uh, the Disney bus fleet is the size of the uh, public bus fleet in the city of St. Louis. Just to give you some sense of the scale of, oh, of Disney huge. World, right. it is huge. But this should be a conservative fantasy come true then, it's right? I mean, it's a private corporation doing, doing all this stuff. And right. the roads are probably better in this area, I suspect, than in the surrounding counties. Oh, to be sure. Um, so, so, so on one hand, this should be a Republican fever dream. You know? Yes. <laughs> it, 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 it's they're an ideal, in, They're right? bringing you know, lots of money. They, they, it's all privately run. Yes. Um, and one of the consequences that of having this go away, and it looks like you know, the bill that, that, that DeSantis signed is going to have, it it's, doesn't dissolve it immediately. It gets dissolved in June 2023, so a little bit over a year away. But it actually means that Taxes in these surrounding counties are actually going to go up by a lot. It's like, like twenty two, or twenty-five percent, right? Yes, but it's like two thousand dollars per family or something to, to to make up for the deficit that Disney had been paying basically itself to fund the fire department and the police department and the roads and the waste management. Because this massive facility, which contains thousands of people, yes. I mean they get millions of visitors a year will still require all those things all those things but now they need to be paid for by the the you know osceola county now orange county disney world's in two different counties it's in orange county which is where orlando is and it's also in osceola county and osceola county is, is not doesn't have a lot of people in it relatively speaking so it's going to place a real burden on their county government to pick up the slack for this huge you know footprint that it has in their, in their county Okay, so if this is a, as I put it, a Republican fever dream come true, why is Ron? DeSantis, why has Ron DeSantis, and in fact much of the Republican Party, at least in Florida, but actually beyond, declared war on the Disney Corporation? Uh, I think the, 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 the simple answer is uh, that Disney, a few months ago, came out against a recently passed law in Florida. The law is officially called the, the Parental Rights and Education Act. Uh, but everyone calls it the "Don't Say Gay" bill uh, because it prohibits um, school teachers and school officials from discussing sexual orientation and other sort of related topics for uh, younger elementary age students. Um, and limits what they can say with older students as well. To be sure, right? And uh, initially, the Disney Corporation threw their hands up and says, "You know, we're an apolitical organization." But then a bunch of Disney employees said, "Look, this is." outright discrimination and, and a hostile work environment uh, that's been created by this piece of legislation. And so because some of the protests from within the Disney Corporation, Disney came out and said that we were, they were against this particular bill and Disney then, uh, DeSantis then responded to that by, by decrying Disney as a uh, woke corporate entity and that he was going to remove any privileges he felt that they were getting uh, from the state, including this uh, special district. One of the things that most upset DeSantis, apparently, was the fact that the Disney executive who made this announcement on a, on a video call used the phrase, don't say gay, Bill, mm. which is the label that its opponents have attached to it. And and DeSantis and his supporters have gone to great lengths to say that's not what the bill is. Mm. Um, and they're very, very irritated that that name has stuck to it. Um, and, and, and so apparently one of the things that really kind of um, has, has given energy to his animus towards Disney has been that, that, that the, the use of that particular phrase, but more generally the, the opposition of the corporation 
to this bill yeah. has engendered this this uh, response. You know, one of the things about this bill is it's it's part of a whole wave of anti-gay laws that have been introduced in the past year. According to one count I saw, it was 238 anti-gay or anti-trans bills have been introduced in state legislatures this year. Uh, and many of them, like the Florida law, are connected with uh, the exposure of, 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 it's about children, education, and, and uh, you know, uh, especially there are a number of bills that have to do with uh, the uh, uh, access to health care for, for trans children. Um, and so I think this is a, a part of a very fascinating wave of, of homophobic legislation that has been introduced um, relatively recently. Yeah, and I think it's of a piece. We did an episode of, uh, several months ago on, on critical race theory, and I think what we saw was that uh, the dispute, uh, debate is, is, is elevating it mm. <laughs> to a, a level I don't think it warrants, but the, the outrage about the alleged influence of critical race theory in schools last year proved to be very successful for Republicans. One has to look at the Virginia governor's race, for example. And I don't think they've given up on that by any means, but this seems to be the next step in a very similar rhetorical turn. So, yeah, so, so I think that this is, this is uh, parallel to and allied with that movement uh, where uh, Republicans have quite successfully um, appealed to their base by saying we need more parental control over over education. So your children should not be exposed uh, to ideas about race and racism that make them uncomfortable. Similarly, they shouldn't be exposed. They shouldn't be uh, exposed to ideas about sex and sexuality, mm. uh, which are at odds with what you might believe or, or the beliefs you might have or what you're teaching mm. at home. And so these two things, I, is that a fair conversation? I think, I think it is. You know, the, the, the same week, uh, there was a story about Florida banning or prohibiting the use of, of, of certain math textbooks <laughs> because of their the presence of critical race theory in math textbooks, which doesn't, on multiple levels, make any sense. And, and the examples they cited weren't... Um, persuasive of anything uh but i think it speaks to the ways in which you know the the protecting the children becomes the rubric uh the the, the way of, of of introducing what is uh you know clearly sort of a homophobic legislation uh discriminatory legislation and in the case of the critical race theory, you know race uh, legislation that has you know racial animus and built into it it's worth saying that 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 this uh, measure that DeSantis signed last night was introduced at the last minute a special session of the Florida legislature. And this is a special session that DeSantis called uh, to approve new congressional districts. All, all states, as we've talked about, have to create new congressional districts in response to the census. The Florida legislature had created new special, uh, new legislative district or congressional districts. Um, but DeSantis had vetoed them because he felt that there were not enough Republican seats in these new um, in the districts that the, that the legislature had drawn. So he vetoes those. He calls them back into session to draw new districts. Or, in fact, what he actually does is he gets one of his, somebody in the governor's office to draw new districts that would give uh, Republicans an overwhelming majority in the congressional representation in Florida. And he's getting the legislature to sign off on his new districts. And it's in that context that he introduces this this bill to 
um, change the, the legal status of the Reedy Creek Improvement District. The new maps um, looks like they're going to call for 20 Republican seats and eight Democratic seats in Florida. Uh, and if you know anything about the politics of Florida, Florida is a 50-50 state, as we know from the 2000 election and everything since then. Florida is a is about as purple a state as one can get, but their congressional legislation is going to or led delegation is going to be more than two thirds Republican, and it seems to be that they were in drawing these new maps, trying to get rid of some especially some some black majority districts. Or, will that be upheld? Do you will those new districts be upheld? Do you reckon? That's a good question. There's undoubtedly going to be a whole series of lawsuits about the the feasibility of the, these new districts. The tricky thing. With that is once they get approved, how long is the legis- how long are those lawsuits gonna gonna sort of meander their way through the courts? Because you know we're gonna have an election coming up before too long, and you gotta know who the candidates are for the districts and all kinds of stuff. So it could be the case where they throw out the districts, but they don't do it in time to change the uh, you know the uh, outcome for this election cycle. So so it so- could be messy. This it's special session was being held to basically gerrymander, which is another topic we've talked but, about in yes. the past. This is an omnibus episode of <laughs> bringing together all kinds of themes. Yes. Um, and then uh, what he was able to introduce this legislation because the legislature was in, it was was in session. session. Yes. Right, okay. And so this is fairly hastily drawn up legislation, I'm guessing. Because all this is unfolding about a month. Yes, it has. Well, I mean, it, it's pretty simple. They're simply repealing um, these special districts that were created before, you know, 1970 or something, which means basically just this one special district. Um, so, so, I mean, in terms of, 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 it's not particularly complicated legislation, but it is hastily crafted. Right, but they haven't worked through the financial implications, for example. Oh, to be sure. I don't think they care. And the fact that I think what's happening is... You know, because this doesn't take effect until more than a year from now, I think they're trying to pressure the Disney Corporation to change their policy or change their public disposition towards DeSantis and DeSantis's uh, Don't Say Gay Bill and, and towards politics more broadly. Because Disney has a history of giving money to everybody in Florida, and that's partially how Disney's able to maintain, you know, sort of its standing within the state. Um, but it's said at various points recently that it wasn't going to give money to DeSantis and they've given a bunch of money to him in the past. Um, so in some ways, it, one could label this as a kind of extortion on the part of uh, the DeSantis administration, even if it's going to mess up the local politics. So so a couple of things. And again, this, as I say, this, this story draws together so many threads. Mm. Did you see the, the blockade, the attempted blockade by truckers and, and various other people of a Disney-owned property a week or so ago? I did see this, yes. Um, which seemed to... There were echoes of the Canadian truck protests of several months ago mm. and, and the basically failed trucker protests in the United States since. Um, so so we saw that a week or two ago. I, I, the, the whole... The, the timeline is getting mm. a little muddy and uh, muddled in my mind. Um so, so we, we had that, but the uh, more ominously, I think, mm. and uh, far more sinister than even that, particularly because they seem to have blockaded a car park in a Disney residential area, so it wasn't actually the park, but they, they were in the wrong place, so we can just set that aside. Uh, but more ominously is 
we keep seeing these accusations about grooming now. Yeah. And so Disney's gone from saying, you know, we, we have the objection to the don't say gay bill at a corporate level by Disney in response to uh, pressure from Disney employees. So to a certain extent, this is how politics works, even corporate politics. And so, so this is all understandable. And the state of Florida has responded in kind. That's the story. However, across the United States, at least on the right, we're seeing accusations and, and there are all kinds of memes cropping up, which you've probably seen on social media, and this allegation that Disney promotes grooming, uh, and grooming of children, mm. obviously. Um, what's that about? How do, how do we get from, don't you know, hey, we don't like your don't say gay bill to you're a corporation that promotes the grooming of children for yeah. pedophiles? Well, the, the, the odd thing about that is that's a very old sort of homophobic trope. Right, that that gay people are are recruiting children. That 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 that's the sort of. And I had assumed that 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 ugly slur, that that line of rhetoric, I I had assumed that that had died out because I thought that that the country had moved to in a different direction in terms of its discourse on on sexual orientation. Um, clearly, I was wrong about that because because it has sort of res a massive resurgence. One of the well, things... sorry, sorry. If I can just jump in there, apologies, yeah. David. I think the country has moved on, but oh, I yeah. think this plays very well with a certain segment of the Republicans' base. Oh, to be sure. So, so I would draw a slight so distinction there, but, but anyway, it has become much more prevalent recently. Yeah, and much more overt. You know, the the expression of this, which you're right, is kind of stunned me. Anyway, oh, I apologize. But the, the the thing that strikes me in terms of that rhetoric is how familiar that sounds to a, another episode in Florida more than 40 years ago, and that's the, the Anita Bryant campaign from 1977. Oh, right. So in 1977, Dade County, which is South Florida, passed a civil rights law that, that protected gay people. It was one of the first in the country. This is fairly early on uh, in terms of the gay rights movement, uh, at least in its modern iteration. And um, this upset a lot of some people, most especially this woman, Anita Bryant, who was a singer and she'd won uh, beauty contests. She was a national figure as a, as a, actually largely as a spokesperson for the Orlando, or sorry, for the Florida uh, Orange uh, conglomerate. Citrus board, citrus. I think. Yes. No, I remember. I remember that she was in adverts and the yeah. Yeah. So time, she yeah. she advert she she was supposed to, but she represented sort of a wholesome all American thing, and she leads this campaign to quote save the children from gay people that this that this uh, Dade County ordinance would have created, and the language she uses and it's it's offensive language, but I'm going to use it simply because it's. It's how similar it is to things you're hearing now. It says, she said, what these people really want hidden behind obscure legal phrases, the legal right to propose to our children that theirs is an acceptable alternative way of life. I will lead such a crusade to stop it as this country has not seen before. The recruitment of our children is an absolute necessity for the survival and growth of homosexuality. Since homosexuals cannot reproduce, they must recruit, must freshen their ranks. And she talks a lot about recruitment, and so it's, a, it's a very similar to the grooming rhetoric. And she uses 
some really awful language to describe gay people at the time. She describes them as human garbage at one point and, and makes some really ugly comparisons. Uh, this campaign of hers actually leads to a lot of protests around the country by, by, uh, by gay Americans and, and by people who are sympathetic to, to gay rights, where they, there are lots of people stopped drinking Florida orange juice as a consequence. There was a boycott in response to her campaign. But she got Dade County to repeal their um, ordinance, and they got she got the state of Florida to ban uh, gay people from adopting children uh, on the supposition that that was a kind of grooming. And she actually was successful in, in campaigning against uh, gay teachers in a number of, of states. Um, and so the similarity in Florida of, of those two stories, separated by, by more than 40 years, I think is, is striking. But the rhetoric hasn't changed as much as you think it would. No, that's very interesting. And, of course, it's now uh, overlaid with the whole QAnon conspiracy, which is something we've discussed mm. in a previous episode. Uh, and, and, and the followers of Q claim you they always um, ascribe the worst motives to their enemies, and they, they claim that there's a vast conspiracy of pedophiles usually centered in uh, among Democrats in Washington, but also in Hollywood. And so this brings that together, too. But what we've seen, I think, because of the 200-plus bills that you mentioned mm. that have been proposed around the country, is anybody who opposes these uh, these these anti-LGBTQ uh, plus bills is called a groomer. Mm. So there was, the, there was the speech earlier in the week, which uh, got a lot of play on... on Social media, which you might have seen in the Michigan legislature, with with, with a, a a legislator pushing back at this accusation quite powerfully and eloquently, but uh, she had been accused. She'd been called a groomer by one of her political opponents, and so we're seeing this kind of accusation that you favor the grooming of children, and hence you're sympathetic. You're either a pedophile or sympathetic with pedophilia as a kind of now stock response to anybody who opposes this these these uh, pieces of legislation. Yeah, it, it is fascinating that this has become sort of the latest front in the culture war because so I had thought after, um, you know, gay marriage had become legal nationwide that we had sort of moved into a separate, a new phase of, of discourse uh, and, and clearly uh, old habits die hard in some ways because this does seem to be a resurgence of, of a kind of virulent and violent homophobia that, that uh, had been very common in the United States, but, but I thought was on its way out. But we, we will see how this unfolds in Florida and other places. So, so where's this all going, David? Well, I think Republicans realize that there are a few issues that are really get their voters to the ballot box, and this is one of them. Abortion is the other one, and we're seeing what's happening with abortion rights um, across the country in Texas and Oklahoma and dozens of other states where you know laws are being passed that are, are if not making abortion illegal, restricting them to the point of being um, in, inaccessible. Uh, and that seems to be a winning issue for Republicans, at least in red states. Um, there's also, I think, to be an act, there's an active sort of hostility towards schools and teachers right? i think there, there, there's a sense in which teachers cannot be trusted schools cannot be trusted as institutions and there's a hostility to public education in a broad sense 
among people who say that they are pro-family, and so how you reconcile those two things is, is difficult, but I think that seems to be a winning issue for Republicans. Um, I don't know. Where do you, where do you think this is going to head? I, I don't know. I mean, I agree with you that those seem to be the hot-button hot issues that help mobilize the Republican base. I wonder, with regard to this particular story that we've focused on today, whether DeSantis and the legislature will quietly back down in the next year, because having basically achieved, they got the headlines they mm. want, and um, I think that on the internet and and uh, on the dark web, it, Disney's going to be uh, castigated forevermore uh, by a certain set of people. But I think, you know, given the economic importance of, of Disney to Florida, mm. I wonder whether this will actually come to pass or whether they'll pass legislation, you know, re-granting the status, the special status that that Disney had. Um, so, so I wonder if there might not be a quiet U-turn, especially if people's taxes are going to go up in, in, in central Florida and as... DeSantis thinks about running for president. You know, could this put his hmm. not just his? Could it put his candidacy for president in danger? On one hand, he's making a direct appeal to the Trumpian base or uh, of the Republican Party. On the other, you know, if he angers enough people in Florida, could he put Florida in danger? Presumably, one of the attractions of his candidacy is that he can deliver Florida, which is essential to the Republicans to winning the presidency. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's doing the math. One thing about these two counties is those are overwhelmingly blue counties. So he doesn't have that many votes to lose. Right. Um, and so if he pisses off a bunch of Democrats, then he's already pissed off a bunch of Democrats. Um, right, but this has ramifications beyond those two counties. Counties, to be sure. But but Flo the demographics of Florida and, and the sort of electoral map, the map of Florida is fascinating because there's some very deep red parts of Florida and there's some very deep blue parts of Florida. And so it is a purple state, but individual parts of it have, have very localized politics. And I think that's, that's interesting. Uh, you know, that's I think that plays out. So do you think a U-turn is possible? A quiet U-turn? I think a quiet, but it also partially depends. There's a whole lot of stuff that can happen in the next year, as we know. And I think that depends in part on, on what DeSantis thinks his future looks like and what the, what the, what's in the cards for him then. Right, but we, we will we will see in the year to come how this plays out. But it, it's, it's just a weird, weird story. story. <laughs> well, I think we're in a very strange. The politics of the past decade has just been bizarre, and, and I'm very eager for things to return to normal because because uh, I'm not optimistic, but because uh, the world's been a strange place, and I'm I'm ready for some some quiet times again. Speaking of which, so it's time for last drops, Frank. We got, yeah. we got, do we have any have any quiet times in last drops? Uh, I don't, unfortunately. No, no. Uh, I hope you do. Uh, I do. My last drop is uh, a continuation of something I mentioned a few weeks ago, which is the ongoing dispute at Montpelier, the the mm. former home of of um, James Madison, the fourth president of the United States, the father of the Constitution, and also a major enslaver. Mm. <laughs> and and as I mentioned a few weeks ago, um, and. Madison, of course, was a Virginian. Uh, there, there has been an ongoing dispute at, at Madison's home um, involving the the uh, the governing board that that maintains it and runs it as a museum. And then the point I made a few weeks ago is actually Montpelier's actually done quite a lot of work, good work, um, both on the history of slavery at, at Montpelier, but also in in terms of um, seeking parity on their governing board to to give a voice to the descendants of the people who were enslaved by James Madison. And all that 
has come to naught because, and I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but because there was a move by the, the governing board to uh, control or limit the number of descendants who could be on the, on the, on the governing board, or at least to, to influence how they were so, are selected. And this has blown up. I, I had expressed some optimism that this would be a kind of short-lived story several weeks ago when I mentioned it, but it actually seems to have gotten much worse, not least because... There are echoes of Disney here. Uh, there were there has been uh, resistance from employees of Montpelier, the people working there, um, to these changes and and uh, in in uh, in defense of the descendants. And uh, a number of employees were fired in the past week, mm. including one that I know personally, but because she worked at Monticello before going to Montpelier, and and. Uh, this thing has blown up and just got more. <laughs> it's got worse. Uh, one of the people who was sacked, I think, was actually the person responsible for communications, and that's shown because uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the subsequent communications have not been the most astute. Terrible. And so this thing is running and running, and there's a there's an article in today's New York Times, kind of summing up where we're at. Um, the board has offered a what they see as a compromise and as a concession, saying actually the, that that we 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 hear you and we're we're seeking to. Um, to address this problem, but they haven't satisfied uh, either the descendants or the broader uh, community of people interested mm. in public history. So this thing isn't done yet. It's gotten worse. This is an update just saying it's gotten worse, and you should check out the uh, the relevant uh, article in today's New York Times yeah, uh, I'm to, looking, to get the latest update. I'm following this closely to Spirit Sienna, this unfold, because I think this is an important place of discussion about who, can, who owns the past and who has a claim to what the past looks like and how it gets shared with the public. Yeah, and as somebody who's at, who's uh, very interested in the uh, coming uh, 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence and the Revolution, uh, that's a, this prefigures a lot of what, what I think is going to happen there because it's a dispute about how we how we remember and what we remember and what we celebrate and so on. And, and so this is going to run and run, unfortunately. What's your last drop, David? Uh, I wanted to recommend a documentary. Um, it's a couple years old, but it's new to me, so maybe new to other people. I'm looking for things that distract me from the fire around us, as it were. And it's a documentary called Echo in the Canyon. Have you seen it? I have not. No. So tell, it's a documentary about, about Laurel Canyon, the neighborhood in, in Los Angeles, uh, during the mid-1960s and the sort of music scene in Laurel Canyon. Um, and it is the the host of the the person who's who's uh, the sort of the face of the documentary is Jacob Dylan. Oh right, okay. Um, which means he from the Wallflowers. Yes, from the Wallflowers. <laughs> yes, very famous singer. singer very, yeah, I, I actually really like the Wallflowers. Um, but as consequentially, because of, of who his dad is, he has lots of connections in. Wait, among, who's his dad? <laughs> There's actually a scene in that in the in the documentary where that comes up, where where uh, David Crosby mentions a party and says Dylan shows up, and and, and Jacob says, well, which one? And, and Crosby says, well, there's more than one. And, and but so but he, they they're able to get all of the important figures from um, the '60s and and other people have been influenced by them uh, on camera to talk about those events. There's archival footage, and Jacob Dylan has gotten uh, some more. Uh, a younger generation of, of performers to to do interpretations of some of the songs uh, from that era. So it's really just a fascinating. Uh, it's not a hard hitting documentary. It's kind of a feel good, you know, kind of 
and enjoy the music kind of thing. But uh, I've I've enjoyed watching that, so I want to recommend oh, Echo in the Canyon. It's a, it's it is I think three or four years old, but it's definitely worth watching. Where is it available? I watched it on Netflix. Uh, I don't know where else it might be available, but that that's where I watched it. Right, excellent, great. Good. All right, David, Cheers. great to be back. The Whiskey Rebellion is hosted by David Silkenet and Frank Cogliano. David is a senior lecturer in American history at the University of Edinburgh, and Frank is professor of American history and dean international for North America at the University of Edinburgh. The Whiskey Rebellion is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter at Whiskey Rebel Pod and like the show on Facebook for updates about current and future episodes. 